Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm talking to Neil Mahotra. He's the president of V Reuters. Neil, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mitch. I'm excited to talk to Neil. V Rotors is a company that works primarily in the drone racing space. And we're going to be talking about the use of AR VR in esports broadcasts, the possibility of VR esports in the future, and where drone racing fits in sort of on the spectrum of sports to esports, sort of in that middle ground right there for drone racing. So, Neil, for people who aren't familiar, what's your pitch for why somebody should check out drone racing? <laughs> well, um, uh, drone racing is an opportunity for uh, an amazing uh, sports experience. And everybody has seen traditional drone racing on YouTube or even on TV. Uh, but it's difficult for them to actually engage. You know, it can be expensive. Uh, it's hard to find a place to fly. And there are a lot of regulations out there. V Rotors is a chance for you to race a real drone. And you can do that right from home. All you need is your PC or your VR headset, and you can race a real drone located on our remote course, which is anywhere in the world, and have that racing experience. It's super interesting. And drone racing was sort of a sport that came out of nowhere. I just remember flipping the channels one day, and it's like on ESPN, it's drone racing. Right. And I was kind of shocked a little bit. I was like, what? Wait, how does this work? And then you turn it on and you get into it pretty quick. It's pretty awesome to see the skill, the really precise turning, all the cool aspects of it. How does it look from a beginning perspective? What is somebody who's just okay. starting out with drone racing? What does that look like? Is it uh, filled with some errors? I can imagine. I can imagine it'd be very difficult. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, there are uh, we there are different uh, difficulty levels for different courses. And so somebody who's just starting would start on an introductory course level, uh, for sure, uh, and until they get familiar with the controls and the dynamics of the drone. Uh, as an eSport, the mechanics of actually controlling a drone are fairly simple. You know, you can turn, you can rotate, you can go up and down. The mechanics are pretty simple, but as most good eSports show, it does take a tremendous amount of skill and ability to reach the highest level of the sport. And that is what we have found as well. And that's why drone racing is so interesting. Anybody can really do it, uh, can start doing it. And as you get more experience, you start to really appreciate the best of the best and how they can perform the way that they do. Yeah, it reminds me of Rocket League a little bit in the way that when you start, you're just totally helpless at the controls. But then when you get to the high levels, it's really impressive how people can move uh, these different vehicles in such precise ways uh, and in such competitive ways. Absolutely. So you mentioned to esports point, is it a sport? Is it an esport? Where does it fall on that spectrum? Right. And so... Um, this is a really at the convergence. V Rotors is at the convergence of video gaming, drone racing, and VR AR. And at that convergence, we really are looking toward the our market as being with video game players, and it's competitive, it's league based, and so it very much falls in the realm of esports. 
Definitely. How about in the physical drone racing, the things you see on ESPN where somebody's there controlling? There's still a VR aspect of it, right? Because they're sort of seeing through the lens of the drone as they race it. It, it is, uh, and uh, for sure, there is an element of that. Um, a significant difference is that in the V-Rotors racing experience, the it is gamified. What I mean by that is you're actually using a full game client on your PC or VR headset with sound and effects uh, and with rendered virtual objects. So in traditional drone racing, you're really just seeing the raw video um, with real course objects, you know, physically in the environment. In V-Rotors, you have virtual objects overlaid on the real environment that have all the effects of blowing up. And there are even objects which shoot at you and you have weapons to shoot back. Uh, so it's very much in the realm of video gaming, distinct from uh, the old school drone racing. Where do you think we're going to go here with VR esports? It's such early stages for these different games. It looks like V Rotors is one of the companies that's really trying to figure out how to gamify VR in a lot of sense. But you also mentioned that it's not necessary to have a VR headset. Is that correct? You can play just like a PC game with this, with this too? Yeah, absolutely. So V Rotors is available on PC and Mac without any VR headset, and you can play just fine. And, and the, this is the reality, uh, is that the VR market is growing, it's healthy, but it's not pervasive everywhere, right? So not everybody owns a VR headset. And I think anybody developing a new interactivity, a new game, it needs to be cognizant of that market opportunity. And if you can be crossover between traditional PCs as well as on these emerging platforms in VR and AR, then I think you have a much broader market opportunity to be successful. That's been the reality for us. And so interestingly, V Rotors uh, and the name starts with the letters VR, right? So V Rotors was born uh, in, in the VR concept uh, early on. And we started a few years ago uh, just uh, touring around and trying different things. But we were very early on uh, seeing the opportunity in VR for full immersion where you're in the cockpit, literally, as you're racing the drone. And as we started uh, putting the platform out for some initial tests with the community, and we noticed that not everybody has VR headsets. And so the reality on the ground was, you know, a much smaller potential audience by limiting it to just VR owners only. And so we developed a PC uh, client last summer and then have uh, made it really equivalent in functionality to the VR uh, features. And it's with that PC client that we have a much broader opportunity. That was sort of a common theme in the VR space a few years ago. I was at Sport Techie a couple of years ago, and we covered a bunch of new VR and AR technologies. And we had to have a whole 
staff wide meeting and be like, okay, there's so many applications, theoretical applications of VR and AR tech, but ultimately we're seeing that not a lot of them are actually getting practical use. And a big issue was that barrier to entry. Another was the motion sickness. Another was just, you know, people trying to figure out what we could actually do with this technology. And so it seemed like a lot of companies who were like, oh, we're going to go target this space realized, wait, we're still a few years out. We need to diversify and to your point, then expand to PC that widens our audience, hopefully gets into VR in the future, but it can't be what we stake our entire thing on at this moment. And that felt true across a lot of VR and AR companies. AR a little less so, but VR definitely uh, was still trying to figure out that practicality. And it seems like y'all have expanded to PC to sort of find that and make sure that people can do this while the VR tech improves and they figure out some of the kinks in it that are necessary to make it more of a household item. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I think you're absolutely right. And the other aspect for us is that we very much are working with streamers on Twitch and Mixer. Uh, it's a very um, it's a real it's a very social experience actually. When you race a drone in V rotors, it's a pilot and co-pilot uh, co-op racing experience so you and i are racing a drone together you may be the pilot in the left seat the commander and i'm in the right seat and that dynamic can really come through in a very interesting way for the viewing audience on twitch and mixer and in twitch and mixer we have we feel that's such a critical component for live viewing of drone racing that we've built custom functionality into their extensions and into mixed play to allow the audience to interact with the actual race. Specifically, as the drones take on damage and shields are repaired, they can only be repaired by the audience. The pilots cannot repair the shields. So the pilots are very dependent on that engaged audience as part of the overall experience. So being that we want to be in that ecosystem of streamers, then the necessity of, of being broad, uh, broadly available on their platforms, which largely is PC, becomes vitally important. Uh, and that's, and that's um, I think, would be important for, for most video games. Um, but in our case in particular, we feel that the audience engagement is, is critical. And so being uh, broadly available across Twitch and Mixer is important. Definitely. It's key for most companies at this point. On a technology side, what, on a broad sense, are some of the hurdles mm -hmm. that still stand in the way of widespread VR adoption? So the, the most, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to start with something that's not technical, but the greatest barrier uh, that I feel is out there tends to be the user, user comfort of having a headset on, especially for an extended period of time. Uh, so it is, it is still a fairly large um, uh, and, if you will, heavy unit that you need to wear 
uh, in an isolating experience away from your environment um, and away from people around you, uh, which can be uh, difficult to manage over a long period of time. So I, I feel the, the, the biggest challenge is actually the, the user comfort uh, of the headset and less about the technology. So everything that, that we do at vRotors is completely available in the Oculus Go, which is you know, sort of very base level VR headset, an Android powered VR headset. And we don't find ourselves limited by the CPU, GPU technology uh, for that. Um, to a large extent, we work within what's available, at the, but at the same time, we've been able to build something amazing and innovative with what is out there today. So I don't find the technology aspects uh, to be limiting, uh, but rather the user comfort uh, to be limiting. So I hope that that is a, is a fine way to answer your question to start yeah, with. Yeah, it, it definitely um, makes sense. Yeah. I guess one of the, the issues that has come up, and uh, I have personal experience with this, one of my good friends down here uh, is super big tech nerd, and he's had VR for a couple of years. And I was playing it about a year, year and a half ago, and he has a wide variety of games, and it's me, my old roommate, and him. and my roommate tries to play, I think it was Fallout. It was one of the games where they tried to really just throw VR into a built-up experience. And he puts right. on the headset. Three minutes later, he's out in the yard puking. And because the motion sickness, it confuses your brain in such interesting ways. And that was literally them just slapping VR technology into a title that wasn't sure. ready for it. And I'm curious how... Well, it yeah, it, yeah, and that is absolutely so. So, um, and that's a question we often get: is Hey, do you, do people feel dizzy? You know, when they're in the cockpit. And what we have found is that it largely has to do with a fixed frame of reference. And what I mean by that is that, um, and this is this is even in the Oculus uh, recommended design guidelines, that if the the player has a fixed frame of reference in a vehicle cockpit in a in a seat some sort of structural reference that's fixed around them um, then this will help this will alleviate any of that disorientation that causes the dizziness that you're experiencing on the other hand if you're freely moving around and there's motion you know which is going to happen in fallout Right, without that frame of reference, um, in a, especially a first-person shooter or those those kinds of experiences, then your body is not experiencing the the accelerations of the actual motion, and you don't you know if you were playing on PC, you have the PC, you have your whole room around you, to to give you that frame of reference. That's what's causing that dizziness. Uh, so it really has to do with working within the best design uh, uh, recommendations for a VR experience. What is VR best for? And, uh, and if there's going to be fast motion without a frame re of reference, then you're only asking, you're begging for that disorientation. It's really interesting. And again, it comes down to that trial and error aspect of how new VR technology is, where 
what can you do and what can't you do? So it feels like you're figuring out what actually works in the uh, in the system and for people's sensory utility. Do you think as people get more used to the technology, it'll be easier to do more unique things with it as they become more accustomed to being in a VR world? And it's just the fact that how new the technology is is causing even more issues where uh, I think a good example would be if you look at mobile gaming and how the younger generation is able to do some pretty insane things with controls on mobile phones because they grew up with them compared to when I try and play Fortnite mobile, I can't do a damn thing on it. And do you think that's sort of (laughs) as, as generations grow up with this technology, it'll be easier to do more unique things because they'll be used to it. Yeah, for sure. And so you look at, um, so, you know, what, what kids can do with their thumbs and, and, uh, on a mobile phone, it is extraordinary. And, um, the VR, you know, you mentioned the fallout and some of those games where they just threw it through an existing PC title into VR without thinking about it. Um, is it's obviously not going to be ideal and it's not going to work. And, but VR opens up the whole 360 environment uh, in which to engage with. And so, you know, where a lot of uh, PC games, you know, to date are, since they're on your screen, it's about what's the action really in front of you. Um, now we're talking about the opportunity to be in an environment which is all around you. And how can you um, engage and interact with that environment with your full body in 360 is a completely new design uh, uh, paradigm for uh, game developers everywhere. And so I think you're going to find that for sure, as the, as the new generations come up with these emerging platforms, they're going to be doing things with their whole body. And what I mean by that is their head their arms, and even their legs in ways that we never imagined and that we can't do because we simply didn't grow up uh, doing that. Right. It's like the early days of computers being these massive behemoths that you couldn't really <laughs> do much with. And that's what's that, that happens across tech generally where it's uh, the gets user-friendly, people get more experience with it, they figure out cool ways to utilize it. At the same time, it's getting easier to use and then you sort of hit this perfect point where then it just takes off, like the launch of the smartphone or the laptop, these different moments in tech history that have really been the culmination of a lot of different uh, advancements over time. And that feels like it's going to happen for VR. We've just had, okay, this exists. The Oculus is an important step forward. But now there's still a, another advancement waiting to happen where it becomes fully integrated into, okay, now we can use this and we can use this practically. And then that's going to be the huge VR boom. I think people thought it was happening in 2017, realized, wait, we may need a little more time with this technology and it's going to happen again in a, in a few years, probably. Yeah. It, it, I, uh, I think most pundits uh, see the opportunity for a VR, AR, that's why there's still significant investment in the area and why co- companies are still out there putting out headsets and investing in new generations 
uh, of those. So um, greater and greater immersion has always been the trend for interactive entertainment, whether it's TV, movies, um, or video games. And VR and AR represent the next uh, evolutionary step in that path. Definitely. I mean, esports is still in that stage in a lot of cases where people are investing in it, but they haven't quite figured out revenue models and these and formats. There's still a lot of change happening. So it's it's true across a lot of different things. VR is not unique there. And the opportunity is clearly there. Anybody's used VR is like, holy crap, that was really cool. Like I played Beat Saber a few weeks ago and I left it being like, wow, it's basically for people who don't know, it's like uh lightsabers but dance dance revolution on uh, very modern it feels just awesome to play and it's super simple and that's like the kind of thing where you you take the headset off and you're like wow that was awesome and that's all you need to get a bunch of investment companies excited about it because it's clearly going to be something that's really interesting it's just hard to figure out you know i saw to take the headset off after four minutes it was a little bit like whoa so how do you make it so you could stay in that for a long period of time. Is that how you see it playing right. out in V-Rotors where people do a race and then they have to take the, say the people that are using the VR side of it, then they have to take the yeah. headset off and like readjust or are people just jamming race after race right now? Right, so uh, we are racing one hour sessions typically with pilots uh, today. So they're, um, they're u- utilizing a VR headset for an hour straight and uh, with total comfort. Again, the, the VR experience design is literally in the cock- like a cockpit of an airplane, right? So if you and I are doing it in VR, we're sitting next to each other. We have all the instrumentation around us. And then the, the windows, if you will, provide us the view of the drone as it's racing around the course. So it is a, you're sitting down, you're not, you know, moving around like Beat Saber, and you have a very comfortable frame of reference. So an hour long session is, is totally comfortable. Okay. And, uh, and the, the vision of V rotors um, can extend beyond just drone racing. Um, to an extent, we are we do have a vision for general telepresence um, and the ability to interact uh, with any environment uh, remotely in the world. That's kind of our our long term vision. And um, and what I mean by that is that you know through a drone, you you know people who are flying racing the drones today are with us in Southern California, even though they're from the UK or. British Columbia or all over the world and we're sharing that experience in that location and that's definitely very key to what we're bringing. In a broader sense, I think VR uh, will open up the opportunity to be telepresent anywhere in the world and share that experience together. So you and I today are speaking across the internet with microphones but I do believe in a year you and I will be sitting across to eat from each other in avatar form, having the same conversation. And it's going to be a, a, a deeper um, richness to the conversation because you're going to see my arms and my head, you know, moving around that you're used to seeing in human inter- interaction. 
And I think that's the promise of what VR brings, uh, is that ability to be, to connect with each other. And I don't think there's any doubt why Facebook is the one who's one of the leaders uh, in VR, because they are about human connection. Yeah, sometimes a little too connected, maybe, but I would. <laughs> so that could be true. I'll be the first on the uh, VR podcast game. That sounds like a new opportunity. And you're right. I, When you're being able to record a podcast while sitting next to people, for people that don't know, I'm not recording these with the person in the room. I wish I was, but uh, only on the rare occasion have I been able to. The company's based in Los Angeles. I'm in Las Vegas. That's still four hours away. So. It helps to do the podcast, like you mentioned, seeing your arms move, seeing facial stuff where you could tell, oh, this person wants to jump in here or they've got a thought yeah. or they're they're animated, they're happy, they're mad that I asked that question. There's a lot that goes into being in the same room with somebody and I would love to have that. It, exactly. And and we we see this in the VR experience for V-Rotors. So with the pilot and co-pilot, you know, we can see each other in avatar form. We can see what our hands are doing. Um, and the audience, the viewing audience on Twitch and Mixer can see us as well. And so we get that richness of, you know, what are the strain, the strain points during the course? And he's really focusing on flying. So, you know, I'm not going to bother him until he's past that obstacle. You really can pick up those nuances by seeing the full, um, body animated through the avatar that's certainly interesting i want to expand a little bit because we mentioned twitch and mixer and esports broadcasts especially through streaming platforms are one of the coolest uses of vr and ar technology uh the best example i believe is riot games using an augmented reality dragon at the 2018 worlds they won a sports emmy for the use of that uh, last year in the NFL season, the Baltimore Ravens did something very similar with an augmented reality Raven that came from Riot Games. Riot Games deserves the credit. And Ariel Horn, the producer, uh, who actually came from Olympics broadcast, a little bit of Riot trivia, that his use of that, and he loves esports because it's this breeding ground for innovation in a way that the Olympics wouldn't try something like that. Riot Games was like, yeah, dude, absolutely. Let's make an augmented reality dragon and do something really cool with it. And so I'm curious, as far as broadcasts go, what are some of those opportunities on those streaming platforms and eventually probably on linear television? Uh, I think they're going to be a bit further behind for VR and AR to impact those broadcasts for both esports and for physical sports. Yeah, sure. So I'll look, I look at it in a, in a couple of different ways. So, um, and a lot of it has to do with um, AR uh, but uh, in, in VR, the opportunity for the viewing audience is to be really present on location. So Next VR is sort of the leading sports VR broadcaster. They put their cameras you know, on soccer, NBA games, on the floor where you can be present, literally with a floor, floor side seat and watch the game. So and and feel like you're actually in the in the stadium, and I think that's that is really where VR um, can can have its greatest impact. Um, that combined with that, you and I are sitting together next to the on the Laker um, next to the Laker bench, um, 
having that social interaction between us as we spectate the game, um, I think that's really the magic of VR. From a, an AR standpoint, which um, a lot of your examples uh, touched on, um, there is the opportunity for interactivity and a mixed reality with the real environment, right? So if it's a real sports game, you know, the rendered objects, the AR provides a, a way to, if not gamify the experience, but create some, something interactive and dynamic overlaid on that real environment. Um, and that's a, that's a huge opportunity, I think, for uh, broadcast and bringing uh, new generations of viewers to typically an older generation broadcast model. Um, some of those things that you described were more passive, you know, but the uh, ability for the audience to interact with them is certainly the next step um, in that AR viewer viewership, that mixed reality broadcast experience, in my view. And um, Twitch and uh, Mixer, I believe, represent that next step of broadcast interactivity. So. Um, as opposed to a static viewing on your television, you know, Twitch and Mixer offer, as you know, the opportunity to be really be part of that community, which is watching that moment together. And whether you are um, lurking in the shadows or you're active in chat uh, and possibly even utilizing some of the new interactivities that are available through Twitch extensions and Mixplay, uh, that connection between audience and performer is only getting uh, deeper and deeper. I really think, you know, Riot, who you, you mentioned, is really on to something interesting. Uh, that's a path that we feel we are on in a similar way in parallel. And, um, and we believe that's the future. Yeah, it's definitely going to be. I don't think PC games are ever going to go away, but VR esports are definitely a huge growth opportunity as the tech becomes more practical. And right now, a lot of games, I think, are probably getting the kinks worked out while still operating a PC-based version like V-Rotors is, where you can play this game, but also we think probably VR aspect is the end game would you say that's a fair description of the game where you're doing pc now because that's where everyone is but if yes. mass P vr adoption were to take place you'd focus in on that yeah there's there's no doubt uh so in arc in 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 the case of v rotors the experience is very much about generating that magic between the magical interaction between the pilot co-pilot and audience and uh, and VR, the ability to be present with each other, even though we're separate physically, uh, only enhances that. So without a doubt, exactly what you said, you know, ultimately it is about being immersed together in that experience. And VR is going to enable that because through avatar form, we're going to be in there together. So what does the future VR esports landscape look like? Do you see other genres of games that are also going to get uh, grow up there? And about when do you think it actually becomes a very meaningful part of the bigger esports landscape where there's, okay, three or four VR titles that we really need to be paying attention to? They have a lot of support. 
about what's the timeline look like mm-hmm. and what are some other games you think could fit into that genre in the future? Sure. And and if, and I apologize ahead of time if I've forgotten some of those sub-questions. So <laughs> just prompt me. Um, but I, but in our, you know, what we have found is that it is very important to have accessibility um, by the audience to have that aspiration to be that esports performer, right? That esports amazing personality and skilled person that's up there on the stage. And so to have that opportunity, then the, it, the experience needs to be broadly available. So it's a little bit chicken and, and egg. Um, for an eSport to be successful, you need the audience to, to believe that they can be the one on the stage. If they don't have the equipment to actually engage, then that's an impediment to that fundamental uh, part of eSports, Right. So while it is entertaining, so for example, we've talked about some of the drone racing you see on TV, it is entertaining to watch for a segment of the audience. Esports is about, well, I'm going to try and I want to practice until I reach that level. And even if I can't, I really appreciate after those hours and hours of trying what they can do and what they've achieved. So that's, in summary, part of it is about accessibility to the experience. And so if it's in VR, it is currently a much smaller uh, audience uh, to have that aspiration to achieve that eSport. That's the reality. That's a really good point, and it's something true across eSports. And it's not true in traditional sports. It's one of the barriers where... Fans of esports are almost entirely made up of people that play that game. And if you look at, say, uh, American football, for example, a wide variety of the people that watch football probably never played it down. I never really played organized football, but I absolutely love it. And so it's uh, one of the big differences between sports and esports. And something that esports need to reach is hey, we got to be able to reach the person that doesn't play our game because ultimately if we cap our audience at the active player base, we're putting a pretty small cap (laughs) on, on the audience right now. Yes, that's true. It is, it is about, um, I think there, there's a, um, there's a, there's an ecosystem and the core audience is the one who is, who, who wants to play the game or feels that they could try to play that game. Uh, that's how you build that initial momentum. You're right, absolutely. It has to broaden out into something that is um, more more readily accessible by the general audience. And look, you know, if you look at you know TV, you know NFL is king, and then you have the other ones, baseball and basketball and soccer following after. It's not easy to become a broadcastable. Uh, sport to the general audience, right? Would you agree, Mitch? You know, there's just those few. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And there's a lot of nuances that still go into those sports where they got swept up and, you know, the average person might not understand a 3-4 defense or a pick and roll or uh, a shift in baseball. And so there's all these different depth things into them that aren't explained, but they've become a part of like popular culture. 
in a way that suddenly they've transcended the individual aspects of the game more so than just the like understanding completely and that's the difference between esports a little bit is it's really hard to follow uh, say a league of legends without understanding what the different champions are doing on a constant basis and there's a lot more that then has to be understood if you want to get what's happening as you watch a broadcast right right so some of the some of the ways that esports can broaden that audience is through perhaps the development of those super personalities, right? So if you have a Le- LeBron James of an esport that you know again can attract an audience, becomes recognizable beyond the sport. I think that's one part of it. So I and I so I I really applaud you know the professional leagues and teams what they're doing out there. You know, if you mention Cloud Nine, you know, a lot of folks know who who are Cloud Nine, right? So um, I think esports can get there. Um, the other side of it is bringing in the recognizable brand sponsors um, into into uh, esports, and more and more brands are getting involved. Coca Cola is involved. Intel, of course, has been a big big backer from the start. Um, and as those brands get involved and people start to recognize um, and connect with not only the sport, but the supporters of the sport. Um, and, re- and, and I believe that that will help broaden the, the audience as well. Yeah, those brands have a lot of power to bring it mainstream a little bit. And there's also a little stamp of validation that comes with those brands being like, mm-hmm. yeah, this really matters. And this matters to a mainstream audience. Because we think it does. And Coca-Cola only cares right. about massive audiences. And they're like, yeah, esports has one. Um, so- yeah. So let's say, let's say Red Bull, you know, sponsors, you know, um, an esport. Immediately, general sports enthusiasts will, will at least pay attention, right? Because they recognize that Red Bull is in that extreme sport kind of genre. And if they're paying attention, hey, probably we should pay attention. Yeah, and you know, extreme sports just went through that about 20 years ago too, where there was all this debate over whether or not snowboarding and skateboarding should be in the Olympics or are <laughs> they sports or what? And now it's pretty well established. They're in the Olympics, they're extremely popular, and they're sports. And so it feels like esports is sort of having that same moment now and just hitting the mainstream. There's a debate should esports be in the Olympics? I don't know. It just hit the X Games, which. Uh, led the extreme sports movement so it definitely feels like we're moving towards that and then the next wave after that is vr esports which is a subsection i think a little more but so the Mm -hmm. final question i want to ask and what i want to end on is what other esports could you see coming out of the vr space we've got b rotors it's one of the dominant vr esports games four years in the future what are some of the competitors around it what are other genres uh, types Mm -hmm. of game you could see coming out in that VR esports world, right? So uh, you have to think about, you know, what can we do with the VR controllers? I believe, and so uh, naturally the controllers lend lend to shooter games, right? Because the controller is effectively a great virtual gun. So I think that uh, any of the this of the shooter game genre type games are going to be successful. Um, in VR as potential esports, 
Um, but then uniquely to VR is the physicality uh, of it. And what I mean by that is that you can actually, just like you did in Beat Saber, uh, Beat Saber you, you can throw things, right? You can throw things with your hands. You can, you can really fall to the ground. You can jump in the air. Um, and this is going to bring on something new, and perhaps it is bring, can bring the physicality of real sports in a way into eSports in a way that it could not be done on PC because you're moving around, and you can really physically you, – you have to be physically skilled in a different way than you do on a PC in terms of real strength almost gymnastic uh, physical ability, uh, that, that is going to be something very unique that VR can bring out. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how different esports can develop based on that physicality. And there's so much room for growth and some new things that can come out. Like, I'd love to see Rocket League and you're in the driver's seat of a car. I can't even imagine how impossibly difficult that would be to start out, but it would be such an interesting sport as you're driving a car, trying to play soccer with it. Uh, and you don't have full 360 vision that you do in the game right now. So it definitely feels like just a wide range of possible opportunities out there. And I think uh, V rotors is in a good spot for that drone racing, which already exists can be played on PC, but also this VR thing is, going to grow and it's going to be a, a big growth sector. So V Rotors is right in that uh, sweet spot of where you want to be as VR technology improves. Where can people check out the game? You said you're on Mac and PC. You can download it right now. Yes, absolutely. If you come to our website, uh, you can sign up and we will email you the details. You can download V Rotors on your PC, Mac. Uh, we're on the Oculus headsets, Gold Quest. Rift, uh, as well as HTC Vive, so really broadly available. And we're we've been racing weekly tournaments. Uh, we've got a, a streamer from the UK, Xta One Zero One. He has won the last four tournaments, so we need to bring in some good competition to uh, try to challenge him. But welcome everybody at vrotors.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, Neil. It was great talking to you, and I'm sure we'll circle back and talk again as VR esports continues to improve and expand and new things come out of the space. Awesome. Thank you, Mitch. And thanks to everybody. Yep. That's all for this episode of the esports network podcast. Have a good weekend, everybody. I'll be back on Monday, hopefully with a brand new episode covering some new aspect of the esports world. Thanks for listening.